telling the Christmas story from about the 30,000-foot level. We started doing that last week. And we're doing that by going back to the beginning and looking at three major promises that lead to Christmas. So the story begins with man and woman created in God's image. It says that in Genesis 1. They live in perfect fellowship with God and with one another, but the devil comes under the guise of a snake and persuades the woman that God is keeping them back from fulfillment and from significance by withholding from them the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God had told them that if they ate from that tree and the day that they ate of it, they would surely die. The, the snake, devil, tells them they will, if they eat from it, they'll be like God, determining good and evil for themselves. So the woman falls for it and gives some to the man, and he eats. Instead of being exalted and wise, they are ashamed and afraid of God. God calls the man to account, and he blames the woman, and she blames the snake. God curses the snake and says there will be enmity, there will be hostility between the woman's offspring and, and the snake's. And God promises that ultimately the woman's offspring will defeat the snake. In other words, the devil. Right up front, before God describes the consequences of, the, of their disobedience, God promises a deliverer. A deliverer. That's what we talked about last week. God giving a deliverer. One who would save them from the results of what happened. But until the promised deliverer comes, the human race experiences pain, suffering, conflict, and being already spiritually dead, in other words, alienated from God and having hearts bent away from God, they would at last die physically. And so that's been the history of the human race ever since. And then from... That takes us up through Genesis 3. After that, you, you read, uh, the news doesn't get any better. Uh, we see that Cain, the, f the first son of, of the Adam and Eve, kills the second named son, Abel. And then after that, uh, things get worse. People multiply, evil multiplies. And, and then we see in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, that God is grieved that he even made man. He, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man in the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So God decides to do a cleansing of the planet by water. Big cleansing. But before he does, Noah thankfully finds favor. He finds grace in God's sight. So God tells Noah to build a big boat. And God tells Noah to get on board with his Mrs. Noah, his three sons and their wives, and males and females of all the animals. God floods the earth, wipes it out, 150 days later, Noah, his family, and the animals are able to get out of the boat. So the human race gets a reboot, a do-over. 
But Noah soon, um, you see from Noah that the flood did not wash away sin from the human race. Um, there's Noah getting drunk and being in a tent, kind of a weird scene thing going on there. We can't talk about it in mixed company. After his offspring multiply, Noah's offspring multiply, they determined to build a trump tower, I mean a tower, sorry, in the land of Shinar, which is modern-day Iraq. Probably our trump tower is over there. They aim for the tower to reach the heavens so they can make a name for themselves. They want to magnify their name themselves up against God. And they don't want to be dispersed over the whole earth, even though God had commanded originally, to, his original mandate to people was fill the earth, populate it, fill it, multiply. God puts an end to their rebellious project by confusing their language and by requiring building permits from the county government and environmental project uh, impact studies and causing their computers to be in incompatible. Now, you need to have your Bibles open because sometimes things slip out of my mouth that aren't true. So you need to be alert. So God disperses them over the whole earth. The tower is called Babel because they can, God confused the language of the people. So to, to recap where we've been so far, this is the state of humanity. Um, the first couple sins and brings pain and death on the human race. They get expelled from Eden. As man multiplies, so does evil. God wipes out all the people with a flood for a human race reboot with Noah and family. Noah's descendants try to build a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves and keep, um, and keep from being dispersed, but God confuses their language. So what hope is there for humanity? What's the hope? And where is this promised deliverer, the woman's offspring? Well, the next major step in God's unfolding plan of redemption is the promise of a people. So what's that about? Well, in Genesis chapter 11, uh, the author lists the descendants of Shem, one of the sons of Noah, and he comes up, he comes down the list to, to a man named Terah. Terah uh, served pagan gods, and he had a son by the name of Abram. So I'm going to read for you from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to have you stand as we read from God's Word. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Father, we thank you that this day we enjoy that blessing that you promised. That you did not leave us as under the power of our own sin and just giving us up for death and corruption without intervening for us and giving us a great Christmas gift. Help us, Father, to appreciate how you you worked that out in time and according to your purposes and according to your promises. Your, your promises are always good. We can always count on your word. 
We still frequently fail at keeping your words. So use this time, Father, to impress upon us the value of trusting in your promises and trusting in your word and living in the light of your good pleasure through your great redeem, your, your redeemer, your deliverer, the, the son of promise, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're, we'll look at the first couple of verses in, out of the three that we just read. God speaks to Abram, telling him to go from his country. Go from your country and your extended family and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God gives him little to go on, just tells him to leave his family and go to a land that he would show him. So it, it was no small thing for a Middle Eastern man to leave his, his family. Um, Especially, as it says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith he went out not knowing where he was going. So he's, he's going on like, why, why, am I, why am I going? Where am I going? And so could you imagine uh, his father, Terah, asking, saying to Abram's son, why are you leaving us? Well, God told me to. What God? Uh, Yahweh? We don't worship him. So what, what is his word? Why are you trusting in his word? Why is he telling you to go? We said that I'm to go to a land that he will show me. What is this land? Where is it? I haven't the foggiest. So it's like he's leaving his family and he's going to where he doesn't know. Just as a man's just as man's fall into sin and death resulted from not believing God's word. So the way of man's restoration to God and righteousness and life would be in putting your trust in God's word. And it's a good reminder to us that even when we don't have all the information that we might like, you can always trust in God's Word 100% of the time, even if you don't know how it's going to work out. And God says in verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation. He follows his initial command that Abe is to go with three promises followed by another command. The connection goes like this, go so that I may make of you a great nation and bless you and make your name great. I'm not telling you much about this land now, but if you go, I will do good things for you and, and, and through you. So the first promise is I will, I will make of you a great nation. He's not just saying that he will make him a great people. He's saying I'm going to make you a great nation. So I'm going to make you a, a great nation that has... A government that has uh, boundaries of a land and, and a common language. And then the second promise is, and I will bless you. I will favor you with good circumstances. I will cause you to flourish and prosper. What the Bible calls blessing or bless, a lot of times we just call that good luck. But the Bible doesn't know anything about good luck. The Bible only knows God blesses. Every good thing we have it comes from God's blessing, not just random luck, not just this impersonal luck that floats around and lands on us. It's God's blessing. And by the way, the Hebrew word for bless, this is, this is um, a fun fact for the, for the morning. The Hebrew word for bless is barak, which is very similar to the Swahili word for bless, which is barak. And so the name of our president is Blessed Obama. True. You, you don't want to know what Donald means. Donald means world ruler. 
Yeah, so you're scared now? <laughs> the blessing promised to Abraham and his, and his offspring is a renewing of God's original intention for man. So when he, we first created man and woman, he blessed them. He, he said, I'm, I'm going to do good things for you. I want good things to come to you. God, God loves to bless. It's we who made it a mess. God loves to bless. We make it a mess. So um, he also blessed Noah and his family after the flood. So when, when the human race got a, re, a restart, he blesses them again and they blow it. So Abram is another new beginning in God's purpose for mankind and thus comes with a, a renewed pr- purpose of blessing from God. Blessing is a huge theme in Genesis, by the way. The, the word bless or blessing is, is, shows up uh, 310 times in the Old Testament, and 88 of those are in, in Genesis. So Genesis is loaded with the concept of blessing. Well, the third promise God makes to Abram is, I will make your name great. He promises to make Abram famous. He said the same thing to, to David uh, several centuries down the line, to King David. He said, I will make your name great like the, the name of the great ones of the earth. Otherwise, only God's name is, is said to be great. So when people begin to, to build the, uh, the heaven scraper tower building project in Shinar, Babel, one of their main motivations was to make a name for themselves. Ironically, the name that they get is Babel, meaning we're confused because we can't talk to one another. So they didn't, that's the name they made for themselves, this confusion. When Abram, and he was later named Abraham, as we'll see, was looking for a burial place in Canaan for his wife, Sarah, this was after she died, by the way, just so you know, the Hittites said, you are a prince of God among us, or, or a mighty prince, prince of God or mighty prince. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. So Abram's name was great among the pagan tribes of Canaan. Later campaigns in Israel claimed that they would make Israel great again. Mm-hmm. Abram's name would reach its highest, greatest greatness in the greatest offspring, Jesus. The angel, when he announced to Mary... Uh, he said this, when he said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and 32, angel Gabriel said this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's pretty great. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. There is no higher name than that of Jesus the Lord. And we see that in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now he said, I'm going to do all this for you. This is the fourth thing he says in verse 2 of Genesis 12. So that you will be a blessing. In other words, God is going to do all these good things for Abram, not just so that Abram and his offspring will prosper, but so that Abram and his offspring would be a blessing, that they would be a blessing. 
So in other words, he's saying go, and so you need to go first, and then everything else I'll, I'll cause to happen if you go, so that I may make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And the verb be, so that they will be a blessing, is, is in the imperative. And you say, what, what's the imperative? Well, it's a command. So it, it could be translated this way. Uh, I'm making your name great and blessing you, so be a blessing. Now go out and be a blessing. All this I will do so that you will be a blessing. So in verse 3, God has more to say about how the blessing impacts people and, and the extent of it. And what he says is that I, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God says that his relationship with other people, his relationship with people, will be governed by their relationship with Abram. Those who bless Abram will be blessed. Those who dishonor him, who disdain him, who treat him lightly, who treat him with contempt, God will curse. So that in Abram, all the families of the earth, all the clans of the earth, shall be blessed through Abram. That the blessing comes not just through Abram, but through his offspring becomes clearer as God unfolds the promise further. He says to Abram when he's 90, he hasn't had any kids yet, in Genesis 15.5, he brought, God brings Abram outside and says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to, to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's significant that the promised son from whom God would create a covenant people descended from Abram would result from a miraculous conception. It had to be miraculous for him to have a son because you don't do that when you're 90. You don't do that when you're 100. And he was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. When God raises up a new a new head, a new start for the, for humanity, for his redeemed covenant people, he does it through a miraculous conception. There was another one several thousand years later in Bethlehem, a virgin conception that gave rise to Jesus. You see in Genesis 22, uh, God reiterating this promise further. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of, of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his, of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He's saying not only are you going to have countless offspring, but they will defeat their enemies. This is what God had promised to the, the offspring of the woman. He said the offspring of the woman will, will destroy, will smash the head of the serpent. And this is where this is coming from. He's going, uh, through this promised son, is going to uh, defeat God's enemies, the enemies of God's people, of the snake. God reaffirms his covenant promise to Abram's son, Isaac. So later on, he says the same thing to Isaac, and then Isaac has a son, Jacob, and he repeats the same thing to Jacob, whose name God changes to Israel, and Israel becomes a great nation. So God, God's promise is coming true. 
God's purpose is that all nations on earth shall be blessed through Abram's offspring, through Israel. In fact, those nations shall become treated as if they were Abraham's offspring. We see this in, in uh, Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 to 6, where God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So, but how does this Abrahamic blessing come, come to the nations? How does it get to us? Does it come from by people uh, becoming Jews? People joining the nation of Israel? How does it come to us? Well, Israel failed God again and again and again. Since their deliverance from Egypt, they had been rebellious against God. They kept adopting the gods of, and, and the ways of the nations instead of honoring and reflecting God's holiness to the nations. As God says of them, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, that doesn't make them any worse than us, who are not Jews. It just means that fallen people, even if they have great privileges and blessings from God, cannot be the source of redemption, cannot be the source of salvation for people. Even if they've had great signs and wonders in their midst. So again, how does the blessing of Abraham come to the nations if his physical, if his biological offspring can't be the means of giving it? How does it happen? Well, Jesus' mother Mary, in her uh, praise response to the news that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, called the Magnificat, it's found in, in Luke chapter 1, said this was God's mercifully accomplishing for Israel what he spoke to Abraham. So in Luke 1, 50, 54, 55, this is what Mary said. She said, He, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to, and to his offspring forever. And Paul says that the Abrahamic promises were always meant to have their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And we see this in Galatians 3, 16 where it says that the promise, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And furthermore, he says in verse 29, if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So the way the blessing of Abraham comes to anyone, Jew or Gentile, is only through Christ. How do we get it? How, does, how do we receive it? How does it come to us through Christ? Well, the blessing comes to us by faith in the promised deliverer. Just as it, it did to Abraham. Abraham's trusted in God's promise. Abraham's ultimate offspring, just as Abraham received the promise by faith. We see this in Galatians chapter 3 again, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So this was the, the gospel of Abraham's day. In you shall all the nations be blessed. And in verse 14, he said, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we receive this blessing through faith. So 
but what what is the blessing anyway? What what is the content of the blessing? Well, he's, he he said in those two verses that we would be counted right, we'd be justified by faith, counted right with God by faith, and that we receive the Spirit of God through faith. In other words, the blessing is the antidote and the replacement of what we lost when Adam and Eve fell. We we receive right relationship to God, and we receive a right heart for God, right relationship to God, and right heart with God. We didn't know what our deepest need was, which was to be made right with God, and to be to have a right heart for God. We we thought that if we just had more money, better health care, education, better government, better technology, housing, food, law enforcement, or family life, that would solve our problems. And there's no doubt that those things are helpful and they're they're good things to to pursue. Improvements in these things can make life better, but they don't meet our deepest need which is our broken relationship with God and our corrupt heart condition. How deep our need was and how impossible it was that we, we, we could resolve it ourselves was demonstrated by the fact that God had to send his son to go from his father's house, as it were, from his father in heaven like Abraham, to a hostile land. So like Abraham, Jesus had to leave his father's presence and come to a, a, a hostile land. He had to be born from a miraculous conception, like Isaac, in order to be God in human flesh, which is what the name Emmanuel means. They, they called his name Emmanuel, God in, in, in human humanity. The depth of, the, of our need is, is evident also in that he had to, d- to die in our place on the cross to accomplish what, what we needed. So if we, if, we, if we thought our problem wasn't that bad, why did the Son of God have to come and die in our place on the cross if our situation was easily remedied by a few easy fixes? The depth of our need is evident in that he had to die in our place. This is the greatest gift we didn't know we needed. To say that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise or promises to Abraham so that he and his offspring should be a blessing to all nations doesn't mean that that God has no uh, role for the rest of Abraham's offspring. That's us. We're Abraham's offspring by spiritually by through Christ. So we, having been blessed with the riches of the gospel, we are to carry on God's purpose to, to spread his blessing to all the families of the earth. That's what we're here for. That's what we're all about. We're blessed to be a blessing. Wouldn't it be great if if we were known as people who just bless? Harvest Community Church, we blessed our community. We blessed the nations. When Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple for his dedication as firstborn, when he was eight days old, there was an old man there named Simeon, he had the Holy Spirit powerfully upon him, and, and he, uh, he said that when he saw the baby, he said, can I hold your baby? And he said, I have, my eyes have seen God's salvation. I've seen your salvation. In this baby, I've seen your salvation, which God prepared in the presence of all peoples, and that Jesus was a light of the, of the revelation to the Gentiles, of revelation to the Gentiles. 
So it's no surprise that after Jesus rose from the dead, he mandates that his people make disciples of all the nations because that was God's purpose from the beginning. Even in confusing the languages of the people after Babel, he purposed to save some from every nation. He said repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations. All, every nation, like Abraham, Christ's people are to go to the nations. God has blessed us at Harvest with the gospel, with resources, with gifts that we dare not just consume on ourselves. It's easy to consume stuff on ourselves. Blessings. He has blessed us to be a blessing in our, to our nearby neighbors and to, to the nations. So if we have any leftover this year, which it looks like we're going to, we need to push out as much of it as we can to the nations, to God's mission, to our neighbors and nations, not consume it, consume it on ourselves. And God promised Abraham that he would multiply his offspring like the stars, like the sand. That was his original purpose for people, to, to, spread, to spread all over the earth, to have image bearers of God all over all the earth. He said, fill the earth with image bearers. So we are to make and multiply disciples who image Christ. We're carrying out what God said to Abraham. Bless the nations by teaching them how to, to believe in, trust in, and follow Christ. We do this by faith. We don't always see the, the benefits of doing it. We, it's hard work, so we, we do it by faith. It's Especially when you're breaking into new territory, um, missionaries have, have spent decades sharing the gospel in, in new places and not been able to see any fruit, and then it breaks open and, and the gospel spreads. So it's always a faith work. But we have God's absolute certain promise that it's going to work. We see this in Revelation 7, 9 to 10. So the Apostle John gets a glimpse of this. In Revelation 7, 9, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could count, no one could number, like what God promised Abraham. You're, you're going to multiply descendants as the stars. From every nation, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages. Every tribe on the earth, every language on the earth, every people on the earth is going to be there in God's ultimate uh, kingdom, in the new heavens and new earth. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God and who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Because God sent his promised son into the world for Christmas, Offspring of Abraham are multiplying all over the place. They're spreading. You can't exterminate them. If you do, they just continue to live, and they multiply. People who have life and righteousness are gathering all over the globe. They are God's people, and he is their God, and he will dwell among them in a new Eden, a new promised land. Because God gave us his son for Christmas. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He's 
who blessed us by making us holy and blameless in his sight, by adopting us as his son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who blesses. You made clear that we needed your blessing to be redeemed as your people. You made that clear to Israel and, and made it clear that you were not stopping with your purposes for Israel, but you were expanding beyond just the nation of Israel to the whole globe. And that ultimately it, it could only work if you sent your son into the world as the Christmas gift, as the, the ultimate offspring of Abraham. Thank you, Father, that he was willing to leave his father's house and come to us. Thank you that though he was perfect and he was glorious and he deserved his, his name to be worshipped and praised, he, he already had a great name, though in our sinful state we didn't recognize his greatness. You, you demonstrated his greatness and his humility and his willingness to stoop down, taking the form of a bondservant, laying his life down for us, and rescuing us from our sin and lostness and death and giving us eternal life and hope. Father, we, we pray that in this time until we're, as we're readying for Jesus to return and to establish his kingdom, bring in the new heavens and new earth one day, in this interim time where we still have suffering and death and pain, we still have a task to do. That task is to bless the nations to bless our neighbors with the gospel, with works of mercy and done in Christ's name. So, Father, may we find our highest joy in doing that, continue to multiply your blessing through us as a church. Thank you for the ways that you have blessed us so richly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.